You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, I got one very important prediction, right? The uh, Redskins would uh, play it a little closer than everyone expected because they're not quite as bad of a team as everyone expected, and Packer fans would be very upset about it. So obviously today is going to be talking about what happened yesterday, mostly about the Packer game, a little bit about everything else. We also have a new winner for the giveaway because the three days have expired and there was no claiming of the uh, the winnings. Remember to get into the Facebook group and uh, share the pin post at the top. Somebody will be winning a free t-shirt and all you got to do is share it. And there's no limit to the number of times you can share it and get an extra entry. Lastly, if you appreciate the show, a five-star iTunes review would be very, very much appreciated. Otherwise, why don't we take a very quick break, and we'll start talking about what happened yesterday. Ladies, are you trying to figure out what to get your man? Guys, is your lady sending you mixed signals about Christmas presents? Well, I've got just the thing for you. VividSeats.com Simply download the friggin' app. You can go to a super sweet concert or even a Packer game. Or hey, if your significant other is a Bears fan, you can leave them. That's also also an option. But back to the other thing. Get your loved one something they'll never forget. Tickets to a thing that they'll enjoy. Simply download the Vivid Seats app. All purchases are backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. Which I think means you can do whatever you want. No consequences! Not sure about that. Then when you're ready to check out, Enter promo code OVERTIME. You'll get some money back. I guarantee it. Go to Vivid Seats and download the app today. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So I forgot to encourage you to uh, join the, uh, or follow the Packernet page. That's a thing, too, that exists. 
That's going to be my whole new thing. And I mentioned to you that I'm trying to set up like this whole cool thing through Facebook Messenger and whatnot. So far, it's been a disaster. I had one person <laughs> message me who also asked to be in the Facebook group. So I allow them in the Facebook group, and then I go see how this conversation went. And after about 17 questions, <laughs> he's just like, you know what? Forget it. And then I checked, and he left the Facebook group too. So, uh, so far, this has been an utter disaster, but uh, that's all right. Sorry for the inconvenience. You know, the dumb thing was like auto set up with a bunch of things that I never wanted it to ask. So he's like giving me his email and phone number. It's like, I don't, I don't need that. And like after a bunch of other questions, just like forget it. So anyways, if you want to go talk to a robot, I got one set up for you. He's going to ask you a bunch of questions. You're not obligated to answer any of them. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with that today. It's going to be fun. So maybe wait until the afternoon and see what the robot has to say to you. But you got to go follow the page first. And then you got to send me a message on the page because I don't think I can reach out to you. You have to reach out to me. But once you do, boy, you're hooked. I gotcha. So anyways, we got a new winner, ladies and gentlemen. A new bing, bing, bing winner. The winner of either a signed 8x10 Johnny Jolly picture or... A signed Chuck Mercine jersey is on Instagram name Zan1011, also known as Caleb Cowgill. Caleb, come on down. I'm very tired and I'm not in the best mood, so I just feel like being ridiculous. So, also, I've done like 7,000 Vivid Seats ads, so I thought I'd mix it up a little bit. So, today might get a little weird. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's like, you know what? If today's not going to be a good day, I'm just going to entertain myself. So don't mind me while I talk to myself today. It does not look like Caleb is in the Facebook group, so 50-50 on whether this gets claimed. We'll do three days because I want to be fair, but I also want to give something away here one of these days. So Caleb, Caleb, alert to Caleb. Caleb Cowgill, my man, come get your stuff. Send me a message on Instagram, let me know which one you want, or just say anything on Instagram so that we can connect and you can say, hey, I heard my name, what's going on? Sound good? All right. All right, so... As of right now, and you'd never know it from the tone and the tenor, not just of the Packers' Twitter, but the Packers' locker room. It's like those guys are melting down, which, you know, at least they're being honest, which is cool. But the Packers are the number two seed right now. And I understand there's a little bit of truth to the statement that maybe they're not on the same level as some other teams. However, I don't think there's ever been a bad team that's been a number two seed. Granted, they're not officially the number two seed yet, but still. Here's kind of the way I was I was thinking about this more broadly. There are basically three macro things that could have happened, which are win, lose, and tie. But within those are a couple different ways that that could have happened that determine how we feel about that game. Now, we'll just leave tie and lose by themselves because those things didn't happen. But as far as winning... There's only a couple ways that we could have won this game and and the way that we felt about it. Number one, we absolutely stomp out this team and we feel good about it. Number two, it's close and we don't feel good about it. But then within that, there are a couple different ways that this could happen. In the past, I think typically what happens is the Packers win, maybe not always, so whatever, we'll just split them into two. One is the Packers were not necessarily the best team and it was disappointing. But they found a way to squeak out a win, right? Like somehow at the end of the day, they ended up with more points, which is how you win a game, but they didn't deserve to win the game. The second way, which is absolutely what happened, is that the Packers were head to head to toe, trying to think of another way, top to bottom, boom, <laughs> nailed it. 
the best team. And it was not even close. Now, the score was close, and it was disappointing, and primarily that was because the offense just refused to capitalize on very easy... I mean, they started at like the 50 every single time they got the ball, and punted at times. It was ridiculous. And I know I got a message, I think it was on Instagram, talking about how bad the defense was. I'm really not putting a lot on the defense. If the offense just got points every time they were in, you know, range to get a couple points, this was a blowout. The defense, I thought, did a fantastic job. Not perfect, but again, if, if, if the defense wasn't enough, then I think we're holding the defense to too high of a standard. I, I think the Packers understood it was the offense that was not good enough. Most of us understand it was the offense that wasn't good. That That's just not good enough. However, again, the big picture here is that the Packers clearly, without any hesitation, top to bottom, head to toe, the better team. Better offense, better defense, better at running the ball, better at throwing the ball. I mean, they sacked Haskins like 75,000. I mean, just look at the Redskins. They looked so defeated by the end of the first quarter. They were injured. They couldn't run. They couldn't throw. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't stop anything. They were just getting kicked around. The, the, The only problem is, and this is really what makes the Packers' defense good, or the only thing that makes them not terrible, is that you know, they, they might give up yards and all this other stuff, but at the end of the day, it's the points that ultimately matter, and teams just aren't able to cross the finish line and get points. That's sort of what happened to the Packers yesterday. The Packers' offense was fine. Everything looked good up until, like, okay, but now it's time to get points, and then they didn't. Like, yeah, you're running the ball, passing the ball, great, but then, you know, it's amazing how quickly you go from being everything looking great to punting. Like, you're just moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball, and then it's just like one-run stuff a miscommunication, and a sack, and it's like, well, wait a minute, what happened to being dominant? Like, that happened so fast, why are we punting? It's just a couple of bad decisions, miscommunications, drops, you know, that's where consistency comes into play, and I think the consistency wasn't really there, because every little thing that could go wrong kind of did for the offense. Guys running wrong routes and Rodgers getting frustrated, bad overthrows by Rodgers, bad drops by receivers, bad blocking, I mean, just, you know, and they, they just kept showing up just in just enough times, this little slow drip of mistakes that kept the Packers from scoring points. There was always a thing that happened. Um, if I had to pick a, a glaring issue, it was receivers not getting an op- open. And, and, you know, you can always go back and forth between was it the receivers or was it Rodgers. A lot of times I do put it on Rodgers because you can see guys I didn't see anything in this game. There were a couple times, I know on one of the plays, Jimmy came open for a little bit, but I think he was already running at that point, and they did a pretty good job of showing, you know, they would go back and look, where are the receivers at right before Rodgers starts running? These guys are, and they're not doing anything. I understand, like, this is your route, but I think that's what separates today's Packers, receivers, tight ends, whatever, to yesteryear where it was like backyard football, where it's like, okay, there's a general route, but after that, if this isn't working, like, it just breaks down, and, you know, Jordy, and, I mean, Jennings, Cobb, whoever, Driver, they just knew, like, all right, now I just need to get open, and they knew how to do that. Now you just see guys, like, I'm running my route, and then they just kind of stand there, like, what do I do? Roger's, like, waving around, like, anything, come on, and nobody's doing anything. Like, oh, I ran my route, I don't know, what do you want me to do? And again, the, the, the few times guys do get open, Rodgers is overthrowing them. It's like, come on, man. I just, I don't get it. And so, on one hand, they're, they're just little things, but they're happening at just enough, like, sparingly little intervals 
to where it's like a you know the the Packers don't end up getting points. So it's like dominant, 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 dominant. Whoops, whoops, punt. Like no, come on, man. And then you know it's 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 another one of those things where it's like you feel like you're 20 points ahead. Like this isn't even close. And then you realize, dude, one touchdown and this game is. I mean, there was a point in time where I literally thought we were going to lose the game. I forget what it was. It was one of the times when we punted, and it just it just felt the, the offense just refused to score. And it's just like, you know the defense is going to give up points eventually. And fortunately, the defense didn't really give up enough for the rest of the game. So in kind of a big way, that was a defensive victory because, the I mean, the, look, the Packers' number all year has been 24. The fact that they couldn't get to 24 against Washington at home on a noon game in December... It's not good enough. I'm happy. I'm happy they're the number two seed. All this stuff is great, but I think we all recognize and need to recognize this isn't good enough. And I think we all should recognize, although there are, you, we can nitpick a bunch of different stuff. I don't think the offensive line is as good as it should be, especially run blocking, but pass blocking even at times is not good enough. Billy Turner is, you know, granted he's an upgrade compared to what we've had at right guard the last couple of years, so I'm happy, but it's just not good enough. I mean, watching somebody come right through when he's supposed to reach a guy and watching him stumble about eight yards to the sideline and face plant because he's just completely off balance and he couldn't get there in time and Aaron Rodgers goes down. And and how many times in critical situations is Rodgers going down and, you know, you know, it's 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 back to that old thing again where he's he's got like eight seconds to throw other, other times and there's nowhere to go. I mean, they, 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 they got to find a solution. And I had someone reach out on Twitter like, man, I really wish we would have got Emmanuel Sanders. Like, yeah, me too. That's why I was banging the drum for him. And I very rarely do that. Usually I'm the guy that's like, eh, I don't know. And now we got our, our Packers fans going, come on, man, Ryan Grant, Ryan Grant, Ryan, Ryan Grant isn't good. That's the problem. I mean, I, I get it from a standpoint of like, whatever, let's just try something else. Yeah, I guess. But he's not a good football player. I mean, just think about it. What it, I mean, everybody's looking at it from the standpoint of the Packers organization must be stupid because they're not putting him in. No, they're not putting him in because he's not even good enough to beat out Marquez and Geronimo. That's how bad he is. That's how bad this situation is. And again, if you want to try him, fine, but maybe he's just not getting the system and everything else. I don't know why he's not in there. Why is Jay Sternberger not in there? Well, we saw him drop a pretty easy touchdown pass. I mean, he's a little bit behind him, whatever, but he's drifting when he shouldn't. Still, it's like, come on! Simple little stuff. And then you watch all these other teams that are, like, starting to get it together. San Francisco and New Orleans, and they they don't make these silly little mistakes. I guess they do. There were a lot of turnovers and everything else, but they just seem more put together. We're not still trying to figure out who's going to be our tight end in December. I do like that Jace is getting more opportunities, but come on, man. He dropped his first reception, which would have been his first touchdown reception. I mean, come on, dude. And, and the, the very obvious glaring thing here is that as much as we can beat Washington nine times out of ten, ten times out of ten, I don't care whatever you want to say, the problem everybody has is we realize, number one, this team probably isn't good enough to beat Minnesota, who is undefeated at home. Not that it super matters, but the bigger question is, can this team beat Chicago at home? Chicago is super motivated. Mitch Trubisky is, for the first time ever, starting to play like a competent quarterback. They've got a little bit of extra time because they played on Thursday to prepare and to heal and to do all that stuff. They have a very, very stifling defense, and if we can't score more than 20 points against Washington at noon, December, at home, how in the world are we going to even get past 10 against Chicago like we did last time? It's not impossible. I mean, every week is a different week. Every week 
people play better or worse. I mean, Aaron Jones is a freak one week, and then he's no good the next week, and Devontae goes off, and then he disappears, and Aaron Rodgers has a great day, and then he has the worst day of his career. It's up and down and up and down and up and down. So who knows what we're going to get next week, but it's got to stop, man. Because at the end of the day, the team that wins the Super Bowl is the team that has the least amount of volatility. It's why, you know, the whole defense wins champions thing, wins championships thing. I got there. I figured it out. It's really the lack of volatility. It's, it's, you know, when the Packers lost all those times, you think about how many points got scored against them. If you have a solid defense, you get games that are more like 15 to 20. It's much easier to kind of just, you know, take the high peaks and valleys out of it. Just kind of nice and steady. You know, teams are scoring 10, 15, 20, 24 in that narrow little band. And it's just a matter of your offense just kind of staying above that level, which typically you can do. Now, the, the very, very good news is the, the Packers are right there. Like, the, the defense is good enough, and we've seen flashes. And I actually think this was a good example of it, as much as people seem to be somewhat upset by the defense. Look at that run defense, dude. Look at that pass rush. And I, I listen, they don't have the best offensive line in the world, but they don't have the worst offensive line in the world. I mean, I don't think the Bears have much of a better offensive line than what we face there. The tackles aren't great, but some of those interior guys are pretty dominant, or at least competent. And like I was mentioning to someone yesterday, one of my favorite things about the pass rush that we have is how just big these guys are. It's not a bunch of like Kyler Fackrell, Clay Matthews, although we do have Kyler Fackrell, which is great. It's how big and strong guys like Zadarius and Preston are. And just looking at a defensive line that is Kenny Clark and Zadarius, and then Preston and Fackrell, where you got the one guy that's really fast and just a good pass rusher. You got Preston, who's... (laughs) There was a play... And I, you know, who knows? He didn't even get to the quarterback. But I remember his first instinct was to play the run, which, by the way, it's really, it's especially impressive when you see their pass rush numbers, when you realize that some of these plays, they're starting off playing run defense. They're not trying to just go all out at the quarterback. So he kind of widens out to make sure he takes away the edge. And then when he realizes it's not going to be a handoff, Preston sticks one hand in this guy's chest and knocks him straight over and books it to the quarterback. These are grown men. And Zadarius is the same thing, but he's just always after the quarterback. I mean, I'm sure there are times when he has to be outside a little bit more, but that's that could be a very big difference between Preston and Zadarius and why Zadarius's numbers are higher. I, I'm sure he's better, but I think Preston at times, he's, he's always on the outside. He's never playing inside. But just the amount of just meat and muscle that these guys have, you know, and, instead of like the old, I mean, Nick Perry was like big for what we used to have. Now Nick Perry would be like, you know, number three on the totem pole as far as, like, beefy outside linebackers. He was, like, the big run defender, where Clay was, like, the speedy go-get-the-quarterback guy. No, we just got just muscle everywhere, and they're just big and mean. And, and again, it, it worked. This is a good running team. And, yeah, they got some big chunks occasionally. That's going to happen. But more often than not, when they tried to run, there was nowhere to go. You look at it, well, Darius Geis got 8.4 yards per carry. Yeah, but he ran the ball five times. So, you know, I think a better measure would be Adrian Peterson, who carried the ball 20 times and only averaged 3.8. If you carry the ball five times and have one really big run, you're going to have a really high average. I mean, think about it. If you run the ball five times and one of those times is a 20-yard carry, the other times you run only two yards per carry, what would that be, 28 divided by five? be almost six yards a carry. So, yeah, they let a couple slip through, but for the most part, they came in and just shut it down. 
And I know Terry McLaurin kind of got away from him a little bit toward the end, but he, he was basically shut down for an entire half. And one of those plays, or at least two of those plays, were very tight coverage from Jair. One of them, the ball slipped between two defenders that were right there, and he caught the, the ball one-handed, backhanded, and reeled it in. I mean, it was just an unbelievable effort from Terry McLaurin. And at the end of the day, he caught four passes for 57 yards. It wasn't like he just tore us up. No, he didn't really. And again, I think it's another one of those, if you just break it down and look, you know, take the emotion out of it and the frustration out of it and just look. I mean, the scoring went, Packers score a touchdown, Packers go up 14-0, then it's 6-14, to then it's 6-17, to then it's 9-17, to then it's 9-20, to then it's 9-15, to and that's it. So we score twice, and then it's just back and forth. They score, we score, they score, we score. There was never a time when they even scored two unanswered points. Not once did that happen. Every single time they scored, we had the next score. And part of that had a lot to do with, I mean, okay, let's look at what the Redskins did on our garbage defense. Punt, 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 touchdown, interception, punt, field goal, punt, touchdown, end of the game. And that was that ridiculous Terry McLaurin catch at the end. Does that sound like a bad defense? And I, listen, I know it's the Redskins, but how do you say that's a bad defense? What else do you want? And for the Packers, it was touchdown, punt, touchdown, punt, fumble, end of the half, which we answered that fumble with an interception. And then we started off the second half, field goal, punt, punt, field goal, the end. So yeah, second half, come on, man, get a touchdown in there somewhere. But here's something else to keep in mind. The defense really isn't that bad. And again, they, they're ranked 21st in points, 19th in yard. But they started the season giving up 32, 31, 31, 24, and 33. That's how it started. That was all under the old coach. The, it, under the new coach, here's the points they've given up. 16, 9, 19, 24, 34, 16, 21, and 20. On average, they're giving up less than 20 points a game. So I know it's a quote-unquote bad team, and whenever you're a bad team, you're just expected to just dominate everybody's face. The Vikings scored 19 points. The Vikings won 19-9. The 49ers beat them 9 to nothing. The 49ers scored nine points against this team at home. Or no, that was in, in, uh, I'm getting this mixed up because I'm on the Redskins page. The Vikings scored 19 points in Minnesota. The 49ers only scored nine points in D.C. So let's try to cut some people some slack here. Well, the Jets got 34. Well, whatever. Different day, different circumstances. And again, let's not also forget that this is a team on a two-game winning streak. Yes, against not great teams, but still. It's a team that's starting to find its identity. It's a team that's scoring more points than it has all year coming out of their bye. It's a team that is, that's defense is finding its identity, that is not allowing teams to score more than 20 points on average. And the Packers beat them. And again, from quarter one to quarter four, the Packers were the better team. It's just a matter of the offense wasn't converting well enough. And as I said, that the Washington Redskins are better than anybody's going to give them credit for. Nobody's going to say they're any good because instead of just looking at what they have been the last few weeks, what they have been since they come out of their bye, what they have been since they've been under their new coat, what they've been doing with since Darius Geis has been back, what they're able to do with Terry McLaurin, nobody's going to look at any of this stuff. They're just going to look at 32nd ranked offense and 21st ranked defense. That's it. That's the end of the story. Nobody cares that most of these terrible stats came in the first five weeks when their head coach got fired and they've been better since. Nobody cares. Nobody cares that they're 2-0 over the last two weeks. Well, I do, and I understood this was not a guaranteed win because there's no such thing as a guaranteed win. And again, yeah, 
I understand, you understand, the team understands the offensive performance wasn't good enough. I also saw one of the best defensive performances we've seen in a very long time. There was everything. How many, how many sacks were in this game? As a matter of fact, you know what? Why don't we take a break, and I want to look at the, the actual numbers in this game. They weren't perfect, but they weren't quite as bad as everyone's making it out to be. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So their quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, was 16 of 27, which is 59%. 170 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Adrian Peterson, as I said, ran 20 times for 3.8 yards. Darius Geis had a nice chunk, but at the end of the day, it was 42 yards, which is one week after he just came off 130 yards on 10 carries against Carolina. Packers held him to 42. And yeah, he was hurt. What? I'm just, just telling you numbers, man. You can twist it however you want to twist it. Smallwood, two carries for four yards. Dwayne Haskins, once for negative yard. Terry McLaurin, only 57 yards, and he had the one touchdown. Chris Thompson was their top receiver in terms of how many receptions he got, but only 43 yards on eight targets. Sims had uh, four receptions for 40 yards, and Calvin Harmon just one, but it was a 30-yard catch. For Aaron Rodgers, he was 18 of 28, which is 64%. So, you know, wasn't perfect, but 64% completion percentage isn't horrible. 195 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Again, statistically not that great, but the completion percentage is fine. Close to 200 yards. You know, only one touchdown, but we also had a rushing touchdown because, I mean, Aaron Jones was the guy in this game. Speaking of, Aaron Jones, 16 carries, 134 yards, and a touchdown, 8.4 yards per carry. And that's on 16 carries, not because it's a limited sample size. That's just what he did in this game. Jamal, seven additional carries for 24 yards, 3.4 average. Aaron Rodgers had five rushes for 16 yards, which is another really encouraging thing because he's just doing that again, and that's a really big weapon that we have. Receiving our number one receiver in this game was also Aaron Jones. Massive weapon. He would have had more if it wasn't for that one overthrow because that was a massive play just waiting to happen on that third down, but Aaron Rodgers just missed him. But six receptions for 58 yards, and that was on seven targets. So the one that he did not catch was the one that was overthrown. Jimmy was a massive target in this game. I think there was one additional miss for Jimmy as well, but he was obviously featured a lot, and he was getting open a good amount. Three receptions, uh, 49 yards. Devontae Adams, who, you know, the last few weeks has really just been a role player. His primary role on this offense seems to be those screen passes where he gets an automatic six. That or quick little out routes to convert a third down. That's kind of just what Devontae does these days. I don't know. We can't get him to do anything else. Whether I'm not saying it's his fault, but for whatever reason, that's all we can do with him. Four receptions, 41 yards. Alan Lazard popped up a little bit, two receptions for 19. Robert Tanyan had his touchdown reception. Geronimo Allison, one for 11. And then Mercedes had that one-yard catch. Excuse me, the one reception for five yards. Uh, we had two players that forced fumbles on the defense. Looking at some of the defensive statistics on this apparently not very good defense. Zedarius forced a fumble and Darnell Savage forced a fumble. Um, interception. Adrian Amos had a pick for three yards. He also had two pass deflections. Blake Martinez had a pass deflection, and Chandon Sullivan, who I think had a very good day. I I said on Twitter, my preference for this game would be put Tremont and Jair outside, put Chandon in the slot, because Chandon has primarily been playing in the slot, and he's actually our best corner um, behind Tremont. He's our second-highest-graded corner. Now, it's somewhat of a limited sample size, but he's been over 100 snaps, so it's not that limited. We've had a decent amount of, of... 
snaps from him, opportunities from him, and he's done very well in those opportunities. We'll see what the final grade is. I know there were some passes caught on him, but in his very first outing, I thought he did a decent enough job, and he came up with a pass deflection. Tremont and Jair did not. He was the one corner that did, at least according to NFL.com. We'll see what PFF came up with. Um, Amos, who was everywhere, led the team in tackles, was six. He also had a sack and a tackle for a loss. So a pick, two pass deflections, a sack, and a tackle for a loss. If you were in the stock game and picked Adrian Amos for some reason, I'm willing to bet you had a good day. We'll see. Uh, Blake had that pass deflection. I know there was some talk about him maybe not doing quite as well. I feel like he's been doing a pretty good job these last couple weeks. Again, we'll see. Somebody on Twitter showed a, a, a play of him just kind of being hesitant, which is a problem with him. But, you know, whatever. Uh, Chandon Sullivan actually had the third most tackles. So, again, showing up. Otherwise, looking at sacks, Amos had his one. Preston had one. Kenny had one and a half. Kyler had a half. Tackles for a loss. Amos, Zadarius, Lancaster, Gary, Preston Smith, Kenny Clark. Uh, Mason, two for two on extra points. Two for two on field goals. J.K. Scott averaging 40 yards per punt. But he was punting. I mean, again, we our starting position was like the... 50-yard line, so his punts were not going to be very long. He pinned two inside the 20 of four. One of them, I remember, he just booted straight out of the end zone. That was not a good one. And then the uh, the, the game of the, the, the player of the day, Mr. Tyler Irvin. Granted, I don't think he did anything super remarkably. He simply had room to run, caught the ball, and ran forward. So, you know, I don't know if he, he broke a single tackle, but by simply just walking forward in a fast manner... He uh, probably earned himself a game ball and a job. So congratulations to Tyler Irvin for learning the art of moving forward. And to be completely, I mean, I'm, I'm being facetious and that's somewhat unfair because the fact of the matter is the reason we were not gaining yards is because everybody understood move forward. There were, he just actually had room to go. So I'm guessing that was the lack of talent on the Washington Redskins special teams because there was nobody there to tackle him. So he had opportunities to run. He actually had more opportunities. There were a couple of fair catches where it's like, dude, you had some time. I don't know whatever happened to the art of waving just before the ball gets there so you can kind of gauge. I mean, I know that makes it more likely you're going to fumble, but like calling a fair catch three seconds before the ball gets there because you're trying to do, you know, trigonometry in your head. Like, dude, just wait a second. And then they, you know, call a fair catch, catch it, and guys are 10 yards from you. Like, dude, what are you doing? But anyways, hey, Four punt returns, 12.8 average, 18 yards was his longest. So kudos to Tyler Irvin. If we look quickly at PFF, they always have a quick reaction from the guys that watch the game. So we don't have the grades yet. Those will come out probably around noonish. But uh, they give you a little idea of what they saw. So the first player that they highlight was Jair. They said he had a very, very big first half. He said he did a great job of creating small windows for Dwayne Haskins that Dwayne was just unable to hit. And again, we saw that even on some of those completions where Jair was right there. It just, you know, couldn't quite slap the ball out of there. Um, Zadarius, again, they're highlighting. He didn't show up much on the stats sheet. It doesn't sound like. We'll see what uh, PFF comes up with. They're usually a little bit more generous than the official NFL.com stats or whatever. But it says Zadarius Smith proved his worth with a strong performance against Washington on Sunday. This might not have been his best pass rushing display, but his work in slowing down a run game was crucial. That's great to hear. Again, they did a good job in the run game. It's just nice to hear that Zadarius was a big part of it. Uh, It was sort of a low light for Aaron Rodgers, said it wasn't his best performance. Almost got picked off in the first quarter. I did forget about that. When he misread a third down throw, and then he was overly careless in the pocket that resulted in a lost fumble. That was pretty rough, although, again, that was 10 seconds after the play. I don't know if anybody was open or not, but he wasn't seeing anybody, and then he finally scrambled out and was, you know, you can call it careless, but it looked like he was about to wind up and throw it, and it got swatted out. 
but all right, fair enough, I guess. It says he ultimately made enough plays to win the contest, but you'll need to be much more accurate if he's going to beat stronger competition, which is absolutely true. That's one of those things as far as, like, you know, a bunch of different mistakes. The wide receivers weren't great. The tight ends weren't great. The offensive line could have done better. But then when you have those opportunities, when you have a guy open on third down, you can't overthrow him. I mean, I know it happens. I get that. But you're Aaron Rodgers. Is it wrong of me to expect you to be able to throw a 20-yard pass accurately, not overthrow a guy? To plant your feet and throw a pass to where he can catch it? I feel like I'm, I'm not being unreasonable with that request. Especially when this is happening every single week, multiple times a game. Quarterback that we call GOAT, greatest of all time, every single week is just airmailing these balls over, over in critical situations, on third downs. Stop it. I don't know. And then finally it says Aaron Jones was the centerpiece of the Packers offense. He regularly got extra yards during contact and made quick decisive cuts to maximize what running lanes there were. I'm going to pause there because that that is one of the things that makes him the greatest. His ability to just maximize what he's being given, right? When there's nothing there, he's going to spin so that it's not a direct contact and then just launch his body so that instead of just getting hit and getting driven backwards, he's going to get an extra four yards just by spinning through the tackle and falling backwards. Or these, these little cuts and just everything he does is just, everything's so subtle and, but shockingly, took me a while to find that word, precise. He just, he does such a good job with that. They continue, perhaps most impressive was his work catching the ball where he made some key catches that helped prove the difference. So Aaron Jones is one of those guys where if you picked him in the stock market game, join the Facebook group if you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably, you shouldn't pick him because he's already too high. But if you did, you made some money because he just had a great day. I'm assuming. I don't know. He was already like 81-ish. So, you know, if he got like an 87, you made close to no money. But it was something. As a note, because I like bringing this up, and Adam, who, uh, I don't know if he even listens to this podcast, but he makes it a point every Packer game to just trash the Packers during the game on Twitter. He sends me messages and whatnot, or, you know, just, I don't know, quote tweets me or whatever you call it. So for guys like Adam, I like to point this out. The last paragraph in this, it says, first round pick Montez Sweat had an extremely quiet day. He saw plenty of action, but was a non-factor in getting to Rodgers, continuing his underwhelming rookie year. Womp womp. Granted, I know Montez Sweat was, I mean, there were some Packer fans that really, really liked uh, Montez Sweat. Not too many. I know Bukowski, that was his guy. Most, I think, were Brian Burns type people, myself and a bunch of others. But still, Rashawn is our guy, and he's kind of doing about as well as, as a lot of the other guys are. He's heads and tails better. Well, I shouldn't say heads and tails. He's not heads and tails better than anybody. But he's doing better than Montez Sweat in his limited opportunities. He's doing better than that bum that Seattle picked up that wasn't even a first-round guy anyway. I shouldn't call him a bum. That's not very nice. He's got a mom. I'll, you know. But they shouldn't have picked him in the first round. I don't know why they did. And he's not doing well. Josh Allen isn't doing much. Burns had a real hot start and is kind of just meh right now. I mean, there's Nick Bosa and a bunch of just other picks. I mean, just edge rushers, defensive linemen, quarterbacks. It doesn't matter. Pick the position. It doesn't matter. Look at the first round. It's just a bunch of meh. So, again, this is my... It's not even defending Rashawn at this point. It's just a matter of stop expecting everything. Just quit it. Oh, you didn't get a sack again. Oh, yeah, yeah, so what? I don't know. I don't know what, what to tell you. So I think the new rule is if you're going to complain about Rashawn, you have to show me on Twitter or Facebook or wherever where you advocated for the Packers taking somebody else that's actually doing better. And don't lie. If you wanted Montez Sweat or somebody else, I want to know it. Because the fact of the matter is you didn't know and you were wrong about a lot of stuff. And so was I and so was everybody. Just the, the, the abject dishonesty of if you would have just done what I said, it would have been per Dude, you don't know. 
What are you talking about? So anyways, the Green Bay Packers are now a 10-win team. This is the greatest start for any Green Bay Packers head coach. One of the better rookie head coaching starts, you know, kind of close to ever. I'm sure there have been a lot of them, but it's very rare for a first-time head coach to just do this well. To even get in the playoffs, and again, remember, there have been several examples of coaches coming in for the first year and doing well, but almost every single one of those examples is when a coach comes in after a successful coach retires or gets fired for some really random reason the owner doesn't like them, whatever, and they come in, they take this really good team already, and they go back to the playoffs, maybe even win a Super Bowl, but probably not, and then they slowly fall apart because the people that actually built the team to what it is are gone, and so it just deteriorates. This is a team that couldn't even get to five. I mean, it wasn't even close. It was 6-9-1. and one. And yeah, and look, the, what we're complaining about, what we're seeing as problematic is a little bit of leftover from last year. Why do we expect there to be no leftovers? Like, everything should be fixed. And I understand it's frustrating, and I want it to be fixed too, and, well, maybe if they'd have done this or that or whatever, yeah, okay. But this is a team that was 6-9-1 and one, that the very next year, same defensive coordinator, brand-new head coach, goes 9-3. and three. And they're not even really doing all that much in any particular category. They're 11th in points on offense and 14th in points on defense. Just kind of meh on both accounts. So there's a lot of the leftover hangover with Aaron Rodgers still kind of just like, what's going on here? And the receivers just kind of, what's going on? And giving up big plays and just stuff that was kind of plaguing the team last year. But the difference between that team and this team, there's quite a few, especially on defense. But one of the biggest differences is when it's close, when it's tight, they find a way to win. Last year was the opposite. I mean, if the Packers aren't doing well, it's, just, it's over. And you knew it was over, and that's just, that's it. It's done. That's an impressive attribute for a team, to, to kind of harden when things get tough. The defense is at its best, you know, when, when the game is on the line, when, when a team is about to score, when they get into the red zone. I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a Super Bowl caliber attribute. Does that mean they're going to win the Super Bowl? No, it, it, they're probably not. Can we admit that they're probably not? They might. They could. They probably won't. But can we also admit that that's okay, given the circumstances? That, that doesn't mean everybody's trash and everybody should be fired. The fact that Matt LaFleur is doing something that is basically historic. I know we want a Super Bowl. They want a Super Bowl. Everybody wants a Super Bowl. But we also have to take into account what these other people have been. The 49ers have Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan is supposedly better than Matt LaFleur. He's also been there for a very long time. They have a very good defensive coordinator. They paid Jimmy Garoppolo a billion dollars. They're looking for that to pan out. They went out and paid Emmanuel Sanders. They've got a great running game. They've got an un beatable defense. They've been building this thing for years. They feel like they're due. Look at the Saints. How many years, decades, have the Saints been trying to build this with Drew Brees, and they finally got this offense clicking to where they want it to be, and the defense finally isn't just the only, I mean, the the Saints for years have been the only defense that is more pathetic over the years than the Packers. Historically, just over the, I mean, you know, 20 years or whatever, the only team that is much worse defensively than the Packers is the Saints, and they finally got this thing going. And here we are, the Packers' first-year head coach, like, we deserve this. I mean, a Saints fan will smack the teeth right out of your mouth for saying that. Like, are you out of your mind? Do you know how many years we've been really good but just can't quite get this thing just just tuned quite right and we finally got it? And by the way, they've been robbed on numerous occasions. They feel pretty much like they've deserved this. You got the Patriots who just, they've had this thing dialed into perfection for years. Baltimore, I mean, they've got this thing finely tuned. There's a lot of teams that feel deserving. 
the Seahawks have been, you know, again, their, their roster, I think, has been deteriorating. But, man, they've got the quarterback. They've got everything just clicking. Everything's moving. The Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, last year, one of the most dominant teams. They've got maybe the hottest quarterback in football, best quarterback. Very arguable at this point, but whatever. Right? They've got Tyreek Hill, arguably the best wide receiver in football. They've got all these different things. There's a lot of teams. Andy Reid, you think he doesn't feel like he's due And here's Packer fans throwing her hands up because in one year we're not better than the 49ers. Like, oh, this is pathetic. I just, I demand some kind of compensation for this. I should not have to sit through this. The fact that we got a new head coach who's supposed to be better than ever, he should be better than Kyle Shanahan in his first year. So what if we don't have wide receivers? So what if we don't have tight ends? I don't care. So what if Matt LaFleur hasn't even been here long enough to really put his his stamp on the guys that he wants and needs to run his offense? Who cares if this is this offense's first time learning the scheme? I don't care if 60% of the defense is their first year here. I don't care if we don't have a linebacker. I don't care if Amos has never played for Petten before. I don't care if Savage is a rookie. I don't care if Zadarius and Preston have never been a Packer before. I don't care that Tremont is 78 years old. I care about none of these things. I just care about the fact that we're 10-2 and two and it isn't as perfect as I want it to be. I don't care that we're the second seed in the NFC, given all those circumstances. I don't care that we're winning the division or probably going to win the division, even if we lose to the Vikings. None of these things matter. The things that matter is I should feel as though in our first year, basically offensively and defensively, everyone's learning these things for the first time. In our first year, we should feel better than the 49ers, who again, Kyle Shanahan has been building this for years. We should feel better than the Saints, who have been building this thing for decades. We should feel better than the Vikings, who have had this very, very good uh, head coach who has built this dominant defense for years, who feel, as a franchise that's never won a Super Bowl, feel as though maybe, just maybe, we're due for a taste. But nope, forget you, forget the Saints, forget the Seahawks, forget the 49ers. You all deserve nothing. We deserve another one because we have Aaron Rodgers. We should have like six Super Bowls by now because we're entitled to it. Not the other 31 teams. I don't, you don't exist. It's just about us. And part of this is fandom and that's cool and we should want to be the best, but we should also have a little hint of perspective here. Just a taste of perspective. Do I have to go back and look at the records of all the other first-year head coaches? Is that what I have to do? Because I don't want to. I don't have time today, but maybe tomorrow we're going to have to look at that. Or maybe you just Google it and look it up yourself. Find all the other first-year head coaches and see how they're panning out. Not as good as Matt LaFleur is. Well, he has Aaron Rodgers. Oh, I, I thought he was bad. I thought Aaron, what, 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 pick a lane. Matt LaFleur is no good, and the offense is no good, and the defense is no good, but yet we're going to use those as excuses for why they shouldn't count and we shouldn't give them credit. What? Come on now. Relax. The Packers will, with almost absolute certainty, be in the playoffs. At that point, they have to win a handful of games. Find a way. Are they better than the teams are going up against? No, they're not. But so what? Find a way to win. That's all they have to do. Find a way to win. And if they don't, guess what? They're going to get eliminated like every single team with the exception of one. That doesn't mean they're worse than everybody. That means they're as bad as everybody with the exception of one. Just, again, proper perspective. Was it good enough? No. Look at the locker room conversations. Almost everybody was like, dude, that's not good enough. And it wasn't. And they need to figure it out. And hopefully they figure it out this year. If they don't, however, it's year one. Year one. Relax. Again, long-term perspective. The Saints are on the way out. Okay, Drew Brees is at the end of this whole run. 
things are kind of, you know, I mean, they're, they're still at the top-ish, but, you know, they're certainly not in year one. The Vikings are certainly not in year one. The Seahawks, far from year one. They've been building this for years and years and years. And it, it, although it feels like we have been here for years, again, first-year head coach, we're the imposters in this group. The Saints and 49ers and Seahawks and Vikings who have been at this for years, building and building and building this identity that they've been trying to build for years. And here come the Packers in their first year, like, we deserve this. And they're like, get out of my face! You just started! You shouldn't even be in the playoffs! And you know what? They're right. We shouldn't. We won nine games last year. We have a first-year head coach, and here we are, the number two seed. You know how angry everybody must be at the Packers for even being in the conversation? The Packers did that, though, despite the deficiencies, despite the lack of understanding, despite the the couple things we still got to hone in on. We got to still figure out Aaron Rodgers and how to use these pieces and these players. And and again, this whole year is Matt LaFleur building, and and Gutekunst just building like what our identity is going to be and what the deficiencies are and why we can't execute what I want to execute because we don't have these pieces. And then you go into free agency in the draft the same way we did with defense and Petten, where it was one year of just, this is garbage. And then Petten said, look, I can't run my defense unless I have this. Gutekunst went out and got him that, and now we have Preston and Zedarius. Okay? That's what's going to happen to the offense next year. We don't have as much resources exactly, but we still have free agency, and we still have the draft, and Matt LaFleur is going to be able to go up to Gutekunst and say, I need this. This is my wish list. Right? Santa Claus. In a couple weeks, Matt LaFleur is going to climb up on the fat man's lap and say, boom, there's my list. Sorry for the visual, and I'm not calling Gutekunst fat, but, you know, maybe he'll put on a costume and a beard or something. Be like, here's my list, Santa Goot. I I, forget that part. Scratch that. Gutekunst. Gutekunst. Boom. Here's my list, Gutekunst. I need a wide receiver. I need a tight end. I need da 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 And Gutekunst is going to go get those things, and then we're going to try again next year. Maybe we're going to try to repeat the Super Bowl. Maybe we're just going to try to get back into the playoffs. I don't know. But again, proper perspective here. We are the imposters in this group, and we're number two in the NFC. So smile. All right? Just smile. Please. I know it's hard. I know that's not what we wanted to happen. We wanted it to be 43-2. to two. Except not even two, because a safety would just cause us to go into a tailspin. Like, how do you give up a... So, so 40, 43 to zero, maybe three. It's weird that three is better than two, but it is. But that didn't happen. You know what? I'm sure the Saints would have liked the score to be 46 to nothing, but it wasn't. They lost. And the 49ers would rather their defense didn't just give up 46 points to the Saints. But you know what? They did, and they won. And I'm sure Houston, who is a playoff team, isn't super thrilled about giving up 38 points to the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos! And I'm sure Buffalo, who thinks that they're super dominant, isn't excited about winning or losing to Baltimore, and Baltimore kind of felt like they should have put up more points. Well, you know, whatever. No- nothing was perfect for anybody. New England is on a on a just complete slide. They couldn't put up more than 16 points against the Kansas City defense. That kind of stinks. Kansas City, they only scored 23 points, almost lost. I mean, maybe they're excited because it's New England, but I don't know. Who knows? Sure, so there are a couple fans who are not super thrilled about it. By the way, Seattle probably not super thrilled about losing to the Rams, only scoring 12 points against the Rams. Probably not super excited about that, and also almost giving up 30 points. The Rams probably are disappointed about nothing, because 28 to 12 against Seattle is pretty solid. Also, Dallas, okay? Dallas. Anytime you feel sad, just think to yourself, oh yeah, Dallas. Dallas's roster is better currently and is, is you know, they, they've maybe not Dak compared to Aaron Rodgers, but they've got so much good going on. Yet, Dallas. 
Okay? Just, whoof. And, 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 and volatility, again, is the problem. So, yeah, well, we can't beat the 49ers because they're better. Well, yeah, maybe. But let's also remember, their defense gave up 46 points to the Saints. So that would be called volatility. That's a bad thing. They won the game, but their defense should not be giving up 46 points to anybody. 46 is almost 50. I don't know if you knew that. And the Saints defense, which is supposed to be somewhat better, gave up almost, I mean, 48. San Francisco defense, which is like supposed to be one of the best in the NFL, almost gave up 50 points. So again, everybody has got a little bit of a like, oh, I wish that should have been better, blah, 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 blah. Bigger context. Go look at other teams. Go listen to other fan bases cry and moan and complain. It'll make you feel a little better. Anyways, I gotta go. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. A goodbye.